Welcome to How I Got Here, a podcast from the Graduate Northwestern exploring interesting journeys of young professionals working at exciting companies and the role that entrepreneurship played in getting them there. My name is Mike Rabb, and I love dissecting nonlinear and non-traditional career paths and the lessons that we can all take away from those who forge them. In this episode, I'm joined by Blair Pircone, the founder and CEO of The Grade Network, which connects teachers with qualified teaching assistants to grade and provide feedback on student work. Blair founded The Grade Network as a business school student in 2015 and has since grown out to serve 70,000 students nationwide and recently completed an acquisition of the company by Marco Learning. In this conversation, we discuss how Blair built a company as a business school student, the importance of distribution for product success, and how starting a startup is like having a baby. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Blair Piercone. All right. Well, Blair, thank you so much for being here with us today. So happy to be here. Thank you. We're happy to have you. All right. So to do a little bit of fast forwarding, um, you studied finance in undergrad and then spent a few years working in equity research before deciding to go back to business school, where you ultimately founded the Grade Network. Did you have the idea for the Grade Network uh, in mind when you applied to business school? Did you know you wanted to go back to school to do something entrepreneurial? What was kind of your mindset as far as deciding to uh, go back to business school? Yeah, maybe equity research isn't the most conventional path to entrepreneurship, but um, I always had an interest in entrepreneurship and I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur. So it just, was just surrounded by kind of that, that mentality and was always doodling you know, various ideas on the side or um, kind of running my own side businesses. So when I applied to Kellogg, I didn't know that I would kind of find the project or the idea that I would want to work on, but I knew that I would definitely spend my time at business school pursuing uh, something and then was very fortunate to, um, in the first week before classes even started at a Seed Day Social Impact um, Entrepreneurship Gathering of fellow classmates, um, heard a former teacher articulate this really big problem around teacher time and just feeling like you're juggling too many different balls to give your students the kind of um, detailed feedback that you know they would most benefit from. So that was the initial spark. Um, Started working on that as a first year MBA student and did some of the new venture courses and had enough exciting um, initial MVP uh, success that decided to dedicate my summer um, internship to just figuring out how to start this company. Got it. So it sounds like you were pretty primed, um, you know, not only from have been a fourth generation entrepreneur, but also working on stuff on the side that you've been looking for an idea and, and plan to spend your time at business school working on it. And uh, serendipitously, you found it in that kind of first week. Um, what was your once you hear this problem articulated by a, a teacher? Um, how did you go about building an MVP or a company around it? Did you build a, a lengthy business plan? Or, or what was kind of your approach? The first thing we did was was try to get as many interviews of of teachers as possible. So to kind of add to the um, our knowledge base and see if this was a more of a broad issue than one teacher's experience. Um, and not having, I was um, I covered the education sector as a market analyst and did not have that firsthand classroom experience. So for me, it was starting with as many interviews as I could uh, talk to. So it was networking within our class to find people that were former teachers or new teachers or were married to teachers or had friends who were teachers. Um, so just that was the initial first step. And um, uh, business school, also, there's a ton of opportunities to kind of pitch your idea or write those business plans and um, apply to different grants or funding or competitions. So 
um, kind of in conjunction with starting to interview people was starting to kind of write out a, a business plan as well. Got it. And so as you're talking to kind of as many potential customers as possible for input, what were some of the assumptions that you were trying to prove or disprove um, that would you know let you know that there was something here? Yeah, I think it was desirability and feasibility were kind of the first two. So um, it was pretty apparent right away that so many teachers had this problem and would love to have some help with grading and like giving their students feedback on their essays. Um, and but it was more than just desirability of the teacher. We also wanted to check would could we get a grader to want to do this? Would an administrator want to support something like this? Would students get value out of it too? So desirability was kind of across all of our our four main stakeholders. And then as we were sussing that out in the interviews, we actually created an MVP using basically exchanging files in Google Drive with our MVP. Um, and reached out to like an education club at the University of Michigan, found our first grader, um, found a, a teacher um, and did an MVP really just with with Google Drive. Um, and after that kind of checked the box for us on like, wow, this really, um, everyone really uh, got value out of the output of this process. Then we turned a little bit more towards um, feasibility like could you really have an outside grader who's not the classroom teacher who's not there day to day could they really understand the rubric could they apply the rubric consistently was that kind of like feasible um and as we were structuring like those tests then we kind of moved more into viability of like the actual business model like could you charge more than it would cost to do it could you recruit people fast enough or were there enough people out there who would yeah some of those more like business model questions were like the third phase Right. So once you've used this MVP to kind of prove the initial assumption, then it seems like you have um, kind of a two-sided marketplace, but with other stakeholders as well, like the administrators and parents and students. Um, so how did you approach, you know, once you've proved this, um, kind of building that marketplace or, or jump-starting it to have either enough graders or enough teachers, or, or I guess both the supply and demand side? Yeah, it was definitely at a time and we were we were pretty like we had kind of immediately thought of like the gig economy and the marketplace kind of business model and just applying that to this problem. So we were looking at a lot of those like uh, marketplaces and what we realized after trying it out <laughs> a few times with with real teachers and, and graders is it really had to be not a traditional like marketplace, but a heavily managed marketplace like the customer really just expected that the company would really own the the outcome and the quality and stuff like that. So it really turned into like, um, and there's a lot of different models like that out there in different uh, industries, but we were like, oh, this isn't just like a, you know, we'll um, have tutor, a teaching assistance available online and teachers can, you know, pick their teaching assistant, figure out how to work with them, figure out how many hours they like manage their schedules, like all of that stuff teachers needed us to do because they were so underwater and managing uh, third party workers was not in their like idea of what they wanted to do. (laughs) So. Those were some of our initial learnings as well that kind of shaped how we priced it, um, what the product offering really was, like how we would uh, set up our systems to, to manage graders and get quality graders, and, but also keep it to be cost effective for, for schools. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense um, with something so important as, as grading student papers that trust and um, but also that teachers, the reason they're using you partially is because they don't have time to, uh, you know, manage another individual to do it for them. So that makes sense. And so how did your sales approach 
kind of evolved throughout the process? Was it always selling into individual teachers? Were you thinking about schools? Like what, what was kind of your strategy around that? Oh, wow. That was definitely always the hardest part. Um, <laughs> and, and still is. So, um, it went through a lot of different phases. I think we were initially like, um, trying to figure out if there was a direct to teacher model. Um, in general, people get, you know, get pretty excited about the opportunity to move faster, um, get more people more quickly trying out your product. And so we focus on that in the very initial, like first six months or so, um, just to see about like more like learning how we should structure the product and the opportunity. But we pretty quickly realized, um, yeah, within that first, you know, six months that it really needed to be a a B2B school level contract, um, for a, a number of different reasons around like student privacy around like trust and and making it like a truly valuable instructional tool. It has to be something that's like done as a group at the school, not like a one-off teacher who's just like um, trying to alleviate some time on on a cram kind of weekend sort of system. So the economics work better that way when it's done in like a bulk kind of purchase too. So we could offer like more attractive prices per students. And um, so that was kind of a big adjustment. Um, But obviously it's hard when you're, um, your user who experiences the pain point directly is not your customer and your customer is not all the time super sympathetic to the user's like pain point. (laughs) So um, we really had to figure out a sales process that would get the decision maker who had the budget, like the school principal or the district curriculum um, leader to um, see this as a tool to advance student writing. This is not just a tool to help save teachers time. That's a nice byproduct, but that could not, that could not be like the direct value prop. So we had to find schools that prioritized writing um, and like, that's not something they just like list on their website or like something you right. can scrape or, you know, so it's, it was very like um, consultative sales, like trying to really identify and, and find educators that were like, oh yeah, student writing is super important skill. You have to, you the only way to develop it is by a lot of practice and a lot of feedback that's specific and timely. And we were like, oh, well, that's what we do we can do that for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think schools are notoriously uh, one of the hardest institutions to sell into, but also don't have a ton of free budget lying around to, so uh, finding that alignment um, sounds like it was very important. Yeah, that would, that's definitely another, um, you know, classic K-12 market challenge is um, unless you're aligned to an accountability metric or an existing budget line item that people are used to buying, it's really hard. You're really kind of evangelizing like, well, come on, like, yeah, you don't buy feedback as a service today, but like you want your students to graduate with really strong writing skills. Like that's your goal. Like think of a more creative way to spend your funds and make this service available to, to students and teachers. So it was definitely like an, uh, kind of evangelizing and educating the market on like, here's a new way to think about this, this problem that you've all recognized. Right. Yeah. And I think um, being part of an entrepreneur is convincing others about the potential of your idea. And you actually, I believe, pitched your college roommate to quit her job in New York and join your startup full time. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So um, I kind of gave her the soft pitch. I, I As I was working on it in um, my first year and over the summer at business school was kind of catching up with her, you know, periodically and just telling her about this idea and, you know, their kind of early traction. And she was like, wow, like, my sister's a teacher. Um, this like makes so much sense to me. Like, and she would, you know, talk to her family members about it. Um, and then it kind of was getting to be more and more serious for me. And I was like, wow, this really has legs. I want to do this. And, um, pitched her on quitting her job and doing a major career pivot, moving to Chicago and, um, and starting it with me. 
I bet that was um, both scary and exciting for her. Um, yeah, it's like um, conventional wisdom is great, but can only kind of take you so far. And especially in entrepreneurship, um, like it's usually like, you know, don't do business with your best friend. <laughs> it might be like some good advice in general, but um, having a co-founder is kind of like having a, you know, a business spouse of sorts. And for sure. tr- trust is super important. Um, in that. So we've had, thankfully, like the last five years have just been just so wonderful to have someone who's in that like co-pilot seat with me, who I respect, I trust. She is like yang to my yang. Like this, like it was super fortunate to have a co-founder that's kind of always been there for me and I can, I can just rely on so much. Absolutely. And, and provide some balance when someone's having an up day or a down day to, to be the counterweight to that. Um, so I think, you know, you, you came to business school with the intention of, of starting something entrepreneurial, but I think those kind of two years can, can fly by pretty quickly. Um, but it sounds like you kind of, since you started working on the grade network, uh, intended to continue with it full time after school. Was that the case or was there any hesitation or, you know, did you do any recruitment or or what was kind of your thoughts as far as after school? I think in the, um, the first year I definitely went to some career events and days to try to figure that out. Like, Oh, should I be doing something um, else? But really from the moment of having that, the first like real teacher, real student, real grader MVP and seeing like the rave reviews from that, it just felt like something that can and should exist. And I could just, it just seemed like so deserving of, of my time and effort. So I was just really kind of captured by that from um, probably like winter or spring of that, that first year. Um, did pitch in the competition at the end of the first year. We didn't even make it out of our, our like bracket, I don't think. <laughs> so um, uh, stuck with it, spent the whole summer kind of like in a uh, mini incubator that I created myself, essentially. Um, uh, and What does that mean? Uh, well, I told my advisor, uh, Linda Dara, that I wanted to work on this as my summer project. And she was able to connect me with um, a group in Chicago that focuses on ed tech innovation. They'd never taken in like an entrepreneur in residence or anything like that. They don't, they don't really do development of, of ed tech, but they're like, oh yeah, we, we could do that. Like, so she <laughs> was able to like kind of finagle a, um, a custom incubator session with a perfect like group for me to just embed with for the summer. And they gave me like office space and plenty of advice to, and like ability to interview school administrators and teachers that were coming in and, uh, through those doors. So kind of the ideal setting, um, also had another kind of Kellogg student able to connect me with a, uh, engineering, like a, a dev firm offshore, um, in India to help me build out the initial designs that I had been developing. I went to a couple education conferences to like more market research and pitch my first customers. I got my first customer at like a conference, like, happy hour basically (laughs) so um yeah i was doing all those things kind of solo in the first summer um i did end up like doing a little bit of recruiting i really think it was maybe one interview or something in in vc but really more was like pitching my idea and they're like (laughs) they're like just you should just work in vc instead and and i was like no no i really want to do this thing so i I had enough signs like just in terms of how strongly i felt about the idea that i wanted to do it full-time afterwards so right um we then um, kind of kept pitching, kept entering those pitch competitions, were, was able to kind of fund with, with that, was able to fund ongoing development um, during that second year of business school. 
and then raised a little bit of angel money at graduation in order to hire our CTO and our first employee. So it was kind of my co-founder and I and, and two other people that were kind of like the, the launch team after graduation. Right. So it sounds like kind of throughout school, you're, you're hustling, going to conferences, getting customers, um, entering pitch competitions, winning some money. Um, so, so, and you also have some customers and a little bit of revenue um, at the point of graduation in addition to, to a little bit of angel investment as well. So it sounds like you were in a good place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's some hesitation there. <laughs> I don't know. I think at every stage of the journey, it has been like the most exciting stage at that time. Um, but I kind of look back and I'm like, oh man, I wish we had just done everything that we know today a lot faster, you know, better. It's just, um, but you kind of have to go through the the process. Like it's going to take longer. It's going to cost more money. And like, they always tell you those things and you like, don't think it's really going to happen to you, but yeah. Yeah. What are, what are some of the things you wish you would have done earlier or, or different? I think it just took us, um, some time to really get, like find our footing on, um, even the small things like, like hiring and making that like a really great process that would help us make really good decisions in a repeatable way. It's like, you don't really need to have a hiring process on day one. Cause you're hiring like two people, right. um, but with, I at the kind of the next stage. So when I kind of look back on how the lack of maturity of our processes and organization and, and culture and all those things at, at the beginning, I, it's not like you could really uh, wave a magic wand and have all that on day one. So I think we kind of proceeded and did the best we could at the time and stage we were at and focused on the right things. I think ultimately, as I reflect on it, it's really more about like selling to schools is brutal. Um, and COVID made it, you know, still, you know, just as brutal, if not more, more brutal to, to sell to schools, just given like everyone's, you know, priorities and just what they're occupied with. So that's advice that we got like very early on about like, oh, the go to market in the, in this, in your particular industry is, is tough or whatever that is. Um, and I do, I do think it's valid for like, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs or really anyone kind of picking their path. If, if you're going to pick a project to do, just like make sure you're also picking a market that has tailwinds, like you're going to be running mm -hmm. this marathon and you might as well pick something where the wind's at your back instead of at, at your face, because it's going to be grueling to create something from scratch, no matter what you can have like the best team executing their ass off. And if the market is tough, like it's going to be hard to make any forward progress. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, especially for first time founders, the distribution is often overlooked. Like they focus on the product and the solution, but like how you get that in front of customers, um, is like secondary when in reality it's just as important, if not more important. Right. Right. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's been a, it's been an exciting journey. So it's five years of being in business, growing the team, hiring, like hiring people that I love, building a product that teachers and students and great, like everyone loves, works, gets results, like building the tech, like just improving the organizational like capabilities, you know, kind of one foot in front of the other, like every day getting better and better has been super, super gratifying. And yeah, for sure. I mean, you're one of the rare success stories of, you know, entering business school, intending to to leave and build your own startup out of it and scale it and, and manage to do that. How um, over the past five years, how big did you go to the company as far as employees or customers or, or what type of scale did have you guys achieved so far? We're serving about 70,000 students right now wow. um, with a network of I mean, the network is as, as wide as a thousand graders. Um, 
who are all graduate and undergraduate students working from all, all over the country. Um, so, um, yeah, and we actually just completed kind of a strategic move thinking exactly about the distribution question. Our thesis on like what COVID changed about, about schooling was very much like, obviously digital has been pulled forward by like five years, thanks to the emergency remote learning that happened over the last year. Right. We wanted to pair what we did super well with grading and feedback with a suite of products on the front end and the back end and all the supports that would make it a comprehensive package. Mm-hmm. So we just completed a, an acquisition. So we're, we uh, sold the grade network uh, to Marco Learning. And um, so now that product is continuing to grow and is now paired with a suite of content, practice test, lesson plans, professional development, kind of, um, yeah, like a full range of, of products. Yeah. Congratulations on the acquisition. You are the first guest of this podcast with a successful exit. So kudos to Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how, just um, if you could share a little bit of insight about that process and your approach, um, I think it'd be it'd be super interesting to hear um, what that was like from your from your perspective. Yeah, I guess it, it started um, really like with an um, my co-founder and I. I mean, we meet weekly to discuss our strategy, but we sure. have an we have an annual like co-founder offsite and. Um, pre-COVID a year ago, we kind of like, it starts with really like laying your goals out really clearly about where you want the business to be, to know if you're having the traction that you think you need to have to, um, to make various investments, to be able to raise cap, to hire the, like all the stuff kind of depends Mm -hmm. upon like how well the business is performing. So we kind of laid out, laid out our goals of where we wanted, where we thought the current strategies could get us and what we would change and do differently if we weren't getting there. So COVID hit. And things went differently, but like for different reasons, but we still knew that we were going to try to change our um, either channel partnerships or go to market. Something about the distribution was going to have to mm-hmm. uh, change. So in classic uh, grade network form, we created a rubric because we believe <laughs> there should be a defined uh, description of what a score would be for a different option and, and being really clear about what characteristics or attributes we were really looking looking for. And we launched a process to consider different kind of reseller options, um, referral options, or potentially like going um, kind of like white labeled within an an assessment provider or curriculum provider Mm -hmm. and just kind of powering the feedback that would underlie a student's experience. So we went through like a whole strategic planning process around that and, and did a bunch of like pilots with different companies and scored all the options. And, and that's how we ended up um, going with Marco learning. That's great. And congratulations again. Um, what would you say, first of all, I have a feeling that this uh, is not the last of the companies you start, but what would you say uh, have been the most important lessons you've learned uh, through this journey with the Grade Network over the past five years? Uh, market, team, and product. So picking a good market, we've talked about why that's, that's so important. It's, it's um, a lot of times we would feel like, wow, we have a really talented team we're doing smart things. The pro- everyone loves the product. <laughs> um, so like great team, great product, but the market, if there were, if there were headwinds or if it was seasonal, or if it was just slow, cause it's just slow, there's almost nothing you can do to really kind of move the ball faster. So market, you know, team for sure. And I think that's something I've loved. Like, you know, a lot of people say it's, it's all about the people that you get to, you get to work with or get to get to impact. So being able to work with the, the schools that we've been able to partner with across the country, the graders, as I've gotten to know, you know, at, at least some or many of them, um, 
And, and our team has just been like a real privilege to get to work with them. And that's not just like hiring the right people. It's also finding the right routines and structures for the group to come together, to, to bond, to share and like reflect and have those, those processes built in place. Like it doesn't just happen on its own. And then, and then product, like, I mean, the ultimate goal as an entrepreneur is like you find that product market fit where things are working. What you had, the idea that you had is like in real life and really impacting people in a, in a positive way. So that's been also like one of the other things when I look back, like I just love seeing the reviews. I love seeing the survey stats. I love like seeing like, wow, this is something that's working at scale for, for tens of thousands of people that are benefiting from this. Right. It's having a real important impact. Um, are there, I'll give you a, a, a minute for this one. Are there any favorite like stories or anecdotes either from the early days or, or while growing the company that kind of, uh, highlights maybe a favorite moment or once you like a, a big success or overcoming a hurdle and anything that comes to mind? Oh my gosh. It's always like the funny, like underfunded gorilla things that you do just because you have to be, you have to, and you have to be scrappy. Like we would, I think my co-founder and I were like in an Airbnb for a conference and we had to like, we were like sharing a room and I was eight months pregnant. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so this is why I, it's also good if your co-founder is your best friend, cause she's totally <laughs> comfortable with this. And uh, we put up like we printed out our own flyers and hung them up in bathroom stalls at the conference because we weren't a sponsor. We couldn't afford to be. <laughs> so we were like <laughs> hanging up our own flyers inside the bathrooms to get people to like come where like area was. And like some people like, you know, were like, oh, there's who hung these flyers in the bathroom? Like, that's not allowed. And so as like a, am a kind of a classic rule follower. But like as an entrepreneur, you're kind of like, well, I just got to get this in front of people. So you kind of got to let some of the perfectionism and the rule following go. So a lot of like those stories are, yeah, like I think we, I also, I had three kids in, in the last five years of also running and starting and running this company. So I've also seen a lot of like correlation between becoming a new parent and then like having a new company as an entrepreneur, Mm. like this is your baby. You wish it could like, you know, feed itself, but it's not going to be able to feed itself (laughs) for the early days. You're going to have to really, you, you, you sacrifice yourself to try to make this happen and, um, you know, putting, you know, putting yourself last or not thinking about yourself and in terms of both the company and, and your babies, it's just a, saw a lot of interesting, um, similarities between those experiences, but I always used having a baby as the reason to set the close date for the round of financing. So it was very sometimes helpful to be like, no, no, everyone, we need to close on February 15th because I'm, I'm due. Give you some leverage there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it just sounds like you have been such a hustler over the past five years. Very impressive. What, and, and maybe we've heard a bit of it already, but um, if there's an aspiring entrepreneur out there who's just starting out, maybe they have an idea, how should they get started? What would your advice to them be? The temptation is to try to do everything at once, which you can't do. You have to do a lot of things at once, but you really have to focus on understanding the customer, understanding the market. And figuring out like what is the product that's going to get pulled out of that. If you start with just the product, you're kind of at risk of like trying to put a square peg into a round hole of like you start with the solution and you're trying to find a problem to match your your solution. So I think orienting to problems and problem solving and 
who cares who would pay for it like very simple uh simple questions and then the sooner you can validate that with traction the sooner you'll be able to justify your own time and effort on it and the time and effort of other people that you want to convince to join you fund you back you buy from you so i think being very deliberate about like what you're trying to prove and getting getting the measurements to prove that even if it's just to yourself I think that's uh, great advice and, and a great place to end. So Blair, thanks again for your time and congratulations yeah. on your success. Thank you for having me. Of course. If there's one lesson I would take away from Blair, it's her approach of talking to as many stakeholders as possible from the earliest stages to determine the feasibility of her idea. Instead of building out a website or product, Blair talked to teachers and convinced one of them to Venmo her $50 to grade student papers for her, validating that teachers were interested enough to pay for the service and that they were satisfied with the output. When you're thinking about building a product, I encourage you to talk to potential customers and validate what they're willing to pay for, even before you've built a fully-fledged product. How I Got Here is a podcast from The Garage at Northwestern and is produced by Melissa Kaufman, Ben Williams, and Elizabeth Wright. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform.